Hello and welcome to the latest Spotlight brought to you by Connect, the property and construction hub. I'm James Marriott, your host. Today we are, well, we're focusing on the property and construction industry. Interesting times at the moment. I mean, I guess that applies to pretty much every industry in the entire country, but particularly in property and uh, construction. So I'm joined by um, Jonathan Foy. Jonathan, give us a quick introduction to yourself, if you would. Yeah, Jonathan Foy uh, from Auxilium Developments. Uh, Auxilium Developments do a number of different things, uh, including building design, uh, project management, uh, building and maintenance. Um, and then, yeah, quick intro on me. And and what's uh, what, what, what? How did you get to that point then? What's your what's your background? Tell us a bit about your story, if you would do, Jonathan. Um, my story is well, my dad was a builder. Um, he was in a team with his brother and his brother's son. Um, the three of them went round. They were mainly scaffolders, but they did a lot of other things as well. Um, so I've kind of been born into that kind of building background. Uh, I've got two older brothers that went into the building industry in different aspects. Um, so I kind of followed suit. I did a various other little bit on Bob's, but I started working with my cousin that used to work with my dad um, when I was, I think, 16, 17, just as I was leaving school, uh, doing flagging and landscaping. We quickly decided to have a business together ourselves, which we called Cousins, luckily enough. Um, and we, we carried on with that. That progressed quite far until eventually I separated and took the business further because I wanted... Uh, a larger business, let's say, where uh, my cousin Dan wanted a kind of singular business with just two of us in a van driving around, get paid every week and be happy. But I wanted to take over the world. I was 17, wanted to take on the world and I'll have the biggest construction and landscaping company going. And that's, I thought it was really easy. Um, so I went off and carried on with that on my own. I did get did quite well. I got contracts with Tesco's, for instance, doing uh, Tesco car parks. Um, I got contracts with schools and nurseries across the Northwest doing um, playgrounds and, and everything like that. Um, but that kind of abruptly come to an end for two reasons. Um, one, because the government changed at the time and there was a lot of funding going out to say every nursery and every school needs fixing up. And I had two and a half years booked in with 30 lads all going out to site. And when the policy changed overnight, all the funding was pulled overnight. So we lost two and a half years worth of work. But I also um, damaged my spine at the time. Uh, I had an accident on site. I've had nine operations on my spine since. Um, but that kind of put us out of commission for a while. So that company, as Cousins GDC, kind of ceased at that point. Um, but that allowed me to explore a few other things. Uh, I bought a franchise in insurance claims management, um, I started project managing a lot more of my own jobs and other people's jobs uh, because I wasn't able to do the physical work anymore. Just imagine with a bad back, I couldn't literally go on site. I mean, I was used to laying 100 flags in one day. That's hard on your back as it is, never mind after having an accident. So that made me progress down another route of running the business and running sites and construction rather than being in it. Um, and everyone always says, and a, and a coach will always say, you know, I mean, work on your business and not in your business. And I was forced to do that. Essentially, I was forced to work on the business rather than just working in it, because anyone in construction tends to kind of work on site and tries to run the business at the same time. And it's always a battle to grow. Um, so I kind of moved on to running it and letting other people do the job. 
which allowed me to expand faster, allowed me to expand quicker. And we started taking on larger and bigger contracts. Um, fast forwarding now to where we are now, and what, just coming up to being 39, like I said, I've been doing this since I was 16, 17. So I've had the experience of being, I've been going, I've done everything, bit of everything in every game. And I say right now we are project managing and building things like um, homes for homeless charities, um, up to anything from say a nine bed flat block of flats up to a 52 uh, block of flats in Manchester. Uh, we're building grand designs, we're building uh, large extensions, new homes. We're now looking at actually setting up a different side of the business, which will be taking on plots of land and building, say, like five million pound houses on there rather than a load of shoeboxes. Most investors will get all of this land, so what's the maximum amount of money we can make from this land by putting the smallest houses on there possible and still making them sellable. That's not what I want to do. What we, I and a few other partners want to do is create a site that would be a gated community that everyone wants to live on. It's that house off the telly with the street and that you got a, a large garden with a tree in the street and all that kind of stuff, which you just don't get anymore. You get very tight-knitted streets, very close houses. We want space. We want greenery. We want the whole works. So we've been, yeah, over the years we've progressed and we're doing a lot of different things. We're in a lot of different types of industry sectors within construction and property. Um, as well as that, I've been running property uh, networking events for a good, what, six, seven years now in different aspects. So, yeah, I've been around, been in the game and got to where we are now. Obviously, that's a lot of years that you've been involved in construction and kind of around property. How have those industries changed over the years? Um, dramatically. I've also not enough. It's, it's, it's kind of the... Way Good answer. Think. Yeah, it's... Technology has not followed construction, or construction has not followed technology, rather. Every industry, I mean, Jay's, Jay's just been saying today, I mean, every industry has progressed dramatically with construction, with, with uh, technology. Construction still stuck back in the day, especially if you look at the domestic market. So the domestic market right now, and I'm the only one I know of that's doing it the way we're doing it. And that is, even if somebody says, okay, can you build me an extension that's £20,000? I will supply them with full spreadsheets and workout plans of everything down to this is what we're doing today. This is who's going to be coming to site. These are the names of the people to come to site. This is everything throughout your whole project. Every last penny costed in because that's what I do for a commercial client and I don't see why I can't do it for domestic clients. But most of you have probably had work done in your house where builders turned up and said, yeah, that'll cost you 10 grand and you've got no clue what you're paying for. They'll write it on a piece of paper or they'll send you a quote that's on zero or something technology-wise these days, but they're not utilising what's out there. There's a massive technology for construction companies um, and no one's using it. So from that point of view, construction's not progressing fast enough and property's not progressing fast enough. The other way it has changed is that it's the busiest industry around and it always is at one point construction and property. But where the pandemic hit and everybody else went downhill fast, everyone stopped, construction boomed, it went off the charts. Uh, even ourselves, we we tripled, if not more, our business within the first year of that pandemic. Most trades within the first month was booked out for a good 18 months on the domestic side. A lot of them moved off the commercial side. 
Um, but the domestic side of the road, at least, was everyone was booked out for two years. Nobody could get a trade. So you can go back. When I first started, I would stick an advert in the yellow pages. And if I had three to four weeks booked up, I was happy. I, I only needed four weeks because I would constantly keep booking another one and another one in. And if it was any more than four weeks, your customers didn't want to know. The customer's like, yeah, I'm not waiting more than four weeks for a job. Right now, people are happy to wait a year, a year and a half because you can't get trades right now. Um, so from that point of view, from, from our side, it's brilliant because we can book up a year. So I know exactly what all my turnover is going to be. If I want to grow my business, I've just got to get more staff. I've not got to find the work because the work's finding me. So it's, it's changed dramatically, I think, over the past couple of years. Pandemic's had a massive hit on construction, but in a good way. There were apps were booming. The only negative side is that we can't find enough staff because of Brexit that made everyone leave the country. There was the, the commercial market was utilising. And because British builders don't want to work in the commercial side and want to work on domestic because that's where the money is, the commercial side's suffering quite dramatically. Um, which is why the government is doing a lot of different things right now to kind of push that, essentially. What about the impact of, I mean, we see across the board costs spiralling at, at, at the moment and, and and looking like, you know, with um, inflation running at, at like 10%, that's only going to continue. What what impact is that having? It's having a massive impact. And I mean a massive impact, as in prices. There's a massive impact, to be fair. Um, prices have shot up. Um, on labour, prices have shot up on um, on materials. Um, so everyone's prices are booming. But what people are doing, the, the construction companies are not working right. And this is where it comes down to people not utilising technology again. Um, there's a general rule of thumb in construction, and that is materials times two. So you have if it's fifty pound for materials, you put fifty pound on for labour, and you put fifty pound on for your company essentially. And that's the rule of thumb. 10 grand on, on materials, you're going to charge the client 30 grand. And that's be always been a general rule of thumb for the past 50, 60 years. It's what my dad taught me. It's what everyone's always done. You can't do that right now because just because material costs have shot up doesn't mean that your labour cost and your profit should shoot up with it. You're just buying the same materials. But people are still using that rule of thumb for some reason. But the clients don't realise that. And because everybody's doing it, Every, the, the construction guys are getting a load of money through. They, they, they shouldn't really be charging. Um, I was an ex, I was expensive. We we priced ourselves as expensive and as that kind of premium product. Right now we're mid range because we've not upped some of our prices because we don't see the need to. But at the same time, we just got to shop around. So Travis Perkins is probably one of the biggest suppliers in the country. Um, I priced something up for the, um, for some drainage up from them the other week. It was £2,500. I went to a local supplier. It was £500. That's a massive difference. But that's because I'm a project manager and I'm going to shop around where a lot of builders out there are just going, no, I'm, that's where I'm used to getting my stuff off. So they're not shopping around. They're just seeing that the prices are going up rather than going, hang on, I need to shop around to make the deal better for the customer. As a project manager, I've got two jobs. Nice to make sure it comes in on time and comes in on budget. So if I'm going to do that, then I've got to make sure that the prices are as cheap as they possibly can by still getting good products. Do you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, the, the financial side of things has had a massive effect, but I think companies need to do a better job. 
I think the construction market themselves, they all need to do a better job. Even property property investors and property sources are, are, are the same. Prices have all jumped up, but you've just got to shop around. You've got to you've got to spend more time in the business and do a better job of finding stuff for your clients. Uh, I've seen quite a few kind of nodding heads in the in the room as you as you say that. Um, we will open things up to um, to questions from um, our audience in in a little while. Um, let's um, let's let's not talk politics, but let's touch on um, the government at the moment. Kind of there's a, a few things um, that are designed to help the property market basically build more houses. Tell tell me a bit more about that then. So 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 why is that happening? Um, and you know, it, it, to the untrained eye, why why would we want to build more houses at a point where ultimately we seem to be heading towards recession or certainly downturn, difficult times ahead? Because there's there's one sure way of dragging any country out of a recession, and that is to build more property construction drags everyone out of a recession. Because if, if let's say we build 100 houses, 100 families will buy a new house. Then they're going to go out and buy shopping. They're going to go buy couches. They're going to go buy carpets. They're going to get insurance. They're going to get whatever they're going to get. They're spending money. So if you build a house, somebody buys the house, they are automatically going to spend a lot of money. So that's, that's, that's the only way you want to get someone out of recession. You need to increase everybody's spending cash. As soon as there's a recession, it's everybody sits on their money. They sit back and go, we don't know what's going to happen. It's, on, it's We're unsure. As soon as all of your houses come available, plus you're keeping the construction markets, which is the biggest market around, going. So, I mean, we're all busy as construction and builders. We're, we're, out, we're out there. It's a massive market because you've not just got builders. You've got interior designers. You've got property sources. You've got property investors. You've got all the, your trades, you've got engineers, architects, acoustics. Everyone in that market is all busy at the same time. But then the other side of the market, as in like people who are not in the market, dentists, doctors, whatever, they're buying the houses and spending the money. So it's the easiest way to drag anyone out of a recession is to keep construction and property going. If construction and property stall, if we look back in history, that's when you've had big recessions. So any recessions that, that last more than, say, a year to two years, that's because the construction market dropped. And then that is really hard to kickstart it going again because you've got to plow money into it. So over the years, we've seen a lot of changes. We've seen planning as near enough gone by the wayside. Um, most people can build uh, a decent size extension now on permitted development. Um, there's a guy across the road from me right now who's put an extension on the side of his house. Uh, he's waited another month and then put another extension on the back of his house. Now, regardless to the fact that they're absolutely terrible, um, I keep looking at them thinking that is some awful grit work. But at the same time, he can do it. He can do what he wants. He's been doing the work himself because you don't have to go through planning for that anymore. Um, they've relaxed planning laws dramatically. A lot of it now is based on window space. If you want to put an extension on your house and you make 80% of it window and glass, then you class it as a conservatory. So even though it's an extension with a foot in and a roof, you put glass all the way around it, you can build it. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to say anything. Where you go back five years, you had to make sure that looking through that glass wasn't looking into someone else's garden. Don't have to do it anymore. 
but that's they've done it on purpose. They've relaxed retail space, so you can now buy commercial and change it into residential. Where they stopped that, so it was like that. I think if I'm right, it was nine years ago we had that in place. Then they took it away from us, and now they're bringing it back in. Why are they allowing us to do it again? To get the construction market booming, and because the high streets are failing, so they need to do something with that space. They need to utilise it. So they're giving, they're relaxing the rules to allow construction and property to take advantage of it, essentially, and kind of move that forward. Is, is there a risk with some of the stuff that you've mentioned there? Because, you know, this, I, I mean, for as long as I can remember, we've been awash with predictions of this, that, and the other. But it seems like, you know, predictions that maybe we're closer to a property crash now than maybe we have been for, for a long time, whatever that might look like. Is there a risk that some of that stuff could actually exacerbate that as a problem? There's a risk. There's always a risk. There's a trend out there. So anyone that, that knows property investing knows that every seven years we have a property dip. It, it, it's a rule of thumb. Every seven years to seven and a half, eight years, we all we go up, down, we go up, down. It always has been. You can go through the whole of past 50 years. It's always the same. Every seven years is your rule of thumb. It goes up, it comes down, it goes up, it comes down. And it's designed that way. It's never going to change. There is a way to fix it. The government could fix that, but they don't want to because it helps the market to settle itself. Now, I was at a meeting the other week. Um, only way I can describe it is like a, an old boys club, essentially. Do you know what I mean? You've got uh, 50, uh, 50 to 60 year olds in a room that are used to going in there doing handshake deals, having a nice lunch, and that's the way they do business. It's now changed into the modern world, and I went to have a visit of it the other week and see what it was like. But there was a guy there that was talking and people were joking about the fact that he could be a, a chancellor of the next in the next couple of years because he's got that kind of level of expertise and he's that well known in the industry and in politics. And he was saying that he thinks that we're not going to have a crash this time because what we've experienced over the past three years due to COVID and Brexit is the market has shot up fast, like kind of really kind of peaked. Rather than it crashing, we're going to straight line. So what we're going to do, we're going to go up, we've gone all the way up, we're going to stop, we're going to straight line it for another year, two years, might drop a smidge, but nothing worth mentioning, and then it'll carry on up. Because what that'll do is settle everything. So where we should be going on a, a gradual climb, that, that line will still exist because it's gone up fast, straightened, and then gone back to the line, essentially. And that's what everyone's thinking now in the industry, is that we're not going to have a major crash at the moment. It's going to come down a little bit, it's got to. Mortgages are at an all-time high at the moment. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's been, about, I think it's 14-year high or something like that, the percentage of mortgages. Properties are, are up in price, like I say, construction up in price. It's got to do something. I don't think a crash is what's going to happen. I don't think they'll allow it to happen because if it does happen, we're in a recession for about five years. And I think with the state of the country right now, I don't think they'll allow that to happen, essentially. Okay, that's interesting. Um, last question for me before we throw it open. We've seen um, a, a large number, perhaps a record number of construction companies who ultimately have gone into administration over the last two years or so, despite the fact that, you know, we talked a lot about um, the elements of the market that are, are really booming. Um, why is that? And how can others avoid following suit? It's an interesting one because, yes, it has been a record year. The past two years have been record consecutive years for companies going under. So if you look at HMRC stats, construction companies and property 
companies, uh, property investors, and, and so on. It's a record number of people going going under. Um, it's always happened. Com- it's a rule of thumb with construction. Construction companies have issues. They get into a lot of debt. They go under. They start another company up under a different name, uh, and they carry on. It's kind of what happens in construction, and it's accepted in construction uh, and in property. But recently, yeah, it, it's dramatic, and it's the big companies. It's not. It's not the likes of me. It's the ones above me that are, are doing, say, twenty plus million a year. Because what they're doing, they're taking on the big commercial contracts, and like I said before, there's no one out there to supply the commercial market with the labour. So because there's a shortage on labour, there's then a length on timescale, and you have fees involved in that. If I'm on a job, I have a set timescale I'd rather do that job in. I have a little bit of a leeway, and then I get fined if that job goes over. People are not bothered about that at the moment, as in they want the work. So the bigger companies with loads of lads that they've got to actually get on site, they are taking on the bigger contracts. They can't fulfil the contracts, and they're going under. So, I mean, a lot of it's been happening. So in the Northwest, um, the Lime Street was getting done uh, last year. Company went under. They took a new company in to do it. Within three months, company went under again. People were taking on the job. Yeah, 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 I'll have that job because they want the job. But then they can't do the actual job. The only way to protect yourself is not be greedy. And it's that, quite, it's that simple. I was offered a job um, through Julie that was here before. Um, there is a, a £7 million contract. It's the fourth one I've been offered at that kind of value in the past six months, and I've turned every one of them down because I've got to then supply at least a million pound worth of that upfront. If I do that on three sites, that's three million pound on my pocket that I won't get back for four months. I can't afford to fund that, especially when the bank's not lending. So I mean, so you've got to kind of just reel it back and go, you know what? Let's grow very slowly. Let's grow the right way, and let's not be too greedy and take on these big contracts. Because I could quite easily now pitch for contracts and get really large contracts. I could go back to Tesco's that I used to do the groundworks for and say, listen, we'll start building your sites. But why? Why? Well, I've got to look at the reasons why I would want to do that and would I want to take on that risk. Just because the market's booming doesn't mean that there's no risk. It means that there's more risk out there than what there normally would be because there's a lot of people pitching for that work. There's a lot of people that want the big contracts. If you're booked up for, let's say yourself, James, if you're booked up now for a year and a half for a podcast work, you're going to sit back as a businessman and go, okay, well, I'm sitting pretty now for a year and a half. So what am I going to do? I'm going to grow my business. You're probably going to take on somebody else to do some more podcasts for you, freeze your time up to try and grow that business and take it to where you want to take it to, if that's what your goal is. That's what construction companies are doing. They're booked up for a year and a half, so they're going, let's go find a massive contract because we can but then they're failing on it. They're not used to doing it. And I'm seeing a lot of mates of mine, a lot of people that I've known for years are going under very, very quickly because they're taking on large contracts they can't handle. And it's a shame to see them all go under. Again, they are starting up again under different names, but then you've got to start afresh and start a little start at the bottom end. And I've been there myself and done it. Like I said, when I had to shut Cousins down, that's exactly what I did. Shut Cousins down. I had a year off to recuperate with me back and then started up another company and, I am where I am today. It happens in construction. Right now, there's just a record number because people are taking on stuff they can't handle. 
Okay, cool. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm going to throw it open for anyone else that's got any questions that they um, that they want to ask. Just by the way, I didn't say this at the beginning, but if you are listening to the podcast and this and wondering what I'm talking about, uh, we are recording this as part of our weekly um, networking get together. So um, we've got um, we've got a bit of an audience. Um, so anyone that's got any questions or any comments, anything that they want to kind of throw in, then um, now is your opportunity. Caroline, I think you had a, a question. Yeah, um, I'm just trying to phrase my question. That's the, that's the hard part. So basically, do you have any advice for people who find themselves at the point where they, they're starting to get the work in now, they want to grow it, they potentially want to have other people working with them, whether that is full-time or as a freelance or, you know, job-to-job, I've no idea. But how how do you have that, how do you take that next step, knowing, like, how do you, are you supposed to be focusing on getting all the work in and getting that all booked in and then finding help? Or do you try and find the right help and then find the work to give those people jobs? <laughs> it's it's a catch-22. And all I will be able to answer this more better than me, but it, it's a catch-22. And I've been, I've done it wrong. I feel like I'm doing it right right now. I've been around the block and done it different ways. I always worked on the premises of find the work when you've got enough work, you've got to set a timescale as in. Like I used to set a timescale as in, I want three months booked up. Once I had three months booked up, I would look for more work and say, yes, we can accept more work. Then I'd find the staff and get the staff to do the actual jobs. Um, there is, um, I know a company up the road, an electrical company, that get the staff in first and then look for the work. I think that's quite risky because you've got a lot of outlay. Um, from your point of view, and this is the way I did it to get Auxilium to where it was, was um, and it was a, it was a thing in a book that they listened to, um, and it was to write down every single task you have to do in your business, down to accounting to tax to doing an email to whatever it is, then highlight the things that only you can do. So if you have to do that task and no one else can do it, like the interior design, for instance, then highlight that and say, okay, you only you can do it. Everything else on that page, can you outsource it? And can you afford to outsource it? Because if you can outsource all of that stuff and you can focus on just what you need to, then yes, you can afford to go out and do more BDM. You can afford to go out and get the work in and then look at it and go, yes, okay, I can take on another interior designer, for instance. And then eventually, that everything you're outsourcing, you'll be able to afford to bring back in-house and bring the cost down on it. But right off the bat, you can't do everything. Every business owner wears every single hat and you've got to try and juggle everything. Trying to do it yourself is impossible. And at some point, you're just going to hit a wall uh, especially if you've got a family like you have. Again, I struggle with that. I do have a number of businesses and a number of kids. So I struggle with that side of things. And I'm, I took the kids to school this morning. I'm going to pick them up this afternoon. Why run your own business if you can't go and do the things that you love? And that's what I love. I love being able to have the time with the family. Do you know what I mean? So I've, yeah, I outsourced everything. I had an office. I had four different people in the office. Um, and I read that book and... Unfortunately, to the staff, but I had to sit there and go, listen, it's not actually worth me keeping you up. You are costing me money, essentially. And essentially, yeah, everyone was given a two-month notice. I actually found them jobs with other companies that are new to make sure they do us happy. Um, but I shut the office down, shut everything down. I come back home, built an office in my garden, sat there myself, outsourced the phone calling, outsourced my email handling, outsourced um, all my paperwork on the trade side, bought in a management accountant, did everything that I could to take everything off my hands, free my hands up. I can then go out and do stuff. I had a conversation with Jay about Jay coming on as our BDM and doing all that side of things so that I didn't have to do that side of things as well. And that's the way I've, I've looked at it. If I can give the work to somebody else to do, 
then it frees my hand up. The, affording it is the issue, mm. but that's where I've priced myself as quality rather than just, like, I need a job. If I need a job, then I'm going to go in a bit cheaper. No, I go in. That's my price. If you want me and you want my experience, you're paying the price, essentially. And that's the way I've worked over the years. Thank you. No problem. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Be really interesting there getting your thoughts about where everything is at. Some really good, um, some good thoughts, lots to think about and um, no doubt interesting months and years ahead. Definitely. Thank you. We'll have another great guest next month. If you'd like to find out more about Connect Spotlights or any of the networking meetings we run, there's four different formats throughout each month. You can get all the information you need and the links in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you next month.